morning. Good morning. Really enjoyed that time of worship. Um, really needed that. Really good. Um, you guys, uh, anybody ever had a Hagen dazs mooncake before? Not a great transition from Jesus as King of Kings to, uh, you know, Hagen dazs but uh, not, not very good, no. My wife thinks that Hagen dazs is manna, the manna that was fed to the Israelites in the, in the wilderness, because it's white. It tastes really good, it's nutritious, and if you leave it out long, it melts. So that's, that's her theory. We'll find out one day, maybe. I don't know. But um, we got a, I had a good week this week. I hope you did, too. And um, uh, I got a, a haagen gift card for, like, their rainbow collection uh, earlier this week from one of my golf students. And the whole coupon was in Chinese, but I was like, this is so great because, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever bought one of those, but... Like, you kind of have to decide, am I going to go, you know, back to my home country for the winter, or am I going to buy one of these boxes of haagen Like, it's that expensive, right? It's like crazy expensive, right? So, um, the student gave me this coupon. I was so excited. The coupon was all in Chinese, but they told me what it was. So, I went home. I told my wife, and we're going we're gonna to go, and we're going to buy these things. I told the kids, we're going to get these things, and there's like nine of them, and this big one in the middle. And so, then I went back to work, and I showed my translator. I said, hey, where do we go buy these? And they're like, oh, that coupon's expired. I was like, you know, I've told my, 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 my wife, I've told my kids, we're, so I gotta, I'm going to go spend like, you know, 140 U.S. dollars maybe. I don't know. They're expensive, right? I'm thinking, so after church today, we were going to go to San Tune and have lunch, and I was going to pretend I still had the coupon and buy the rainbow collection, right? So at 9.30 last night, some friends call up and say, hey, we've got too many Haagen-Dazs mooncakes. Do you guys want some, right? And I'm like, you know, first of all, how can you have too many Haagen-Dazs mooncakes? <laughs> I mean, right? you got a problem with your theology right there. I mean, that's, you know, that's wrong. But so they brought us over some Haagen-Dazs mooncakes. And, you know, I had a Haagen-Dazs mooncake at 10 o'clock last night sitting in bed. And it was awesome, you know. So um, I didn't work on the message, but I did have Haagen-Dazs. So that was really cool. Um, hey, uh, so we are in this series. Uh, and uh, if you were here last week, you might remember, we're just kind of talking about why am I here? You know, and we're using that question for anything that God's speaking to you in your life. Why am I here geographically? Why am I in China? You know, or if you're from China and you've moved to another country and you've come back, you know, why am I back in China? You know, or maybe, maybe it's why am I in this season of life or in this job situation or whatever it might be. So we're kind of using that question and we're just going through scripture and some people's lives to, to kind of ask that question. Last week, I, I just kind of spontaneously asked... Uh, you know, people, how long you've been in China. And I just, I'm just curious today, just real quick, uh, what countries we're from. So I'm not going to name out all the countries, but who's, who's from a country in Europe? Could you, I'm just curious, who, how many from Europe here? All right. Hey, great. That's neat. Um, how many people are from Australia? I guess that kind of, there we go. You can always count on the Australians to yell. I mean, they're always yelling. Right? Um, how, how many people are from Asia here? They're just different countries within Asia, China, Singapore. I know we've got all over the place. We've got a pretty nice little mix. How many are from America? I'm from America. Okay, great. And so if you're not from America, you won't understand this question. But if you, if you are, then you'll understand. How many of you are from the country of Texas? Right? There we go. See, and, and Texans don't just, you know, yell. They jump up, right? They jump up and wave and the whole bit. Um, so kinda, I kind of did that, too, today, because um, our founding pastor, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Louder's from Texas, and he's back in Texas now. And Tom left me a gift when he, when, he, when he went home. And he left me these cowboy boots from Texas. These are, like, from Laredo, Texas. Isn't that cool? So I've never worn boots to church before, but I just thought I'm going to honor our 
founding pastor, and I'm going to bring Tom's boots to church today. And I might fall off the stage here trying to put them back on, because this is, I'm not used to dealing with boots. So, anyway, no matter where we're from, right, God's called you to this place geographically for this season of your life. Make no mistake about that. And God's called you to the season of life that you're in. And some of us have walked in knowing that, and others of us have walked in wondering if God even exists, and if he, if he does, or if we know he does, how come he's not speaking into my life? So last week we looked at uh, Terah, and if you weren't here, the message is online, you can go hear it at uh, capitalcommunitychurch.net, is that right? I think .net. Um, uh, but Terah is Abraham's father. Abram's, Abraham's name was Abram, it was changed to Abraham, so whether it's Abram or Abraham, it's the same guy. Terah was his father, and basically the lesson we pulled out of his story was a story where ultimately he compromised the calling God had in his life, and as a result, he lived far below the level that God had offered him in the way that he lived his life. So we'll reference Terah a little bit today as we go through Abraham's story, because Terah was Abraham's father. Um, Abraham lived an amazing life. Abraham walked with God, and he lived an amazing life. Um, he was called from his home country to go to a brand new culture. And he was fortunate in a way that other people in Scripture weren't as fortunate in that God told Abraham most everything up front. He said, you're going to go here. You're going to live in this place. Here's what I'm going to do in you and through you, and it's going to be amazing. Other people will look at in Scripture in other weeks. They didn't get God's report up front. They kind of found out on the back end what God's purposes were. And some of us are here with that story. We know why we're here. Others aren't so sure right? Um, but it's still God at work in either situation. Um, so Abraham lived this amazing life. As we go through his story in Genesis 12, all the way through Genesis 25, and then he's referenced all throughout the New Testament as well. But Abraham was a normal guy. I mean, let's not make him into somebody that was nine feet tall. He was like any one of us who just had the faith to follow God with fear and trembling and uncertainty and all that. In the course of his life, he made good business decisions and bad business decisions. He knew times of prosperity. He knew times of challenge. He had moments in his family that were unbelievable highlights that we read about in Scripture. He had moments in his family that were really low and really challenging and difficult. He lived a normal life just like every one of us. Um, But something that Abraham did as he finished his life, as you can look at his story and you can say this, Abraham made God famous in the culture where he lived. And so when I look at Abraham's life, I think about just... You know, what's my story going to be if and when I leave China? Am I going to have done my part to shine the light of Christ in appropriate ways in my life? And so we're going to look at Abraham and we're going to pull some of that stuff out. And uh, we'll just see where it goes. Um, Remember that when you study the Bible, when you read the Bible, we read it for the storyline. We read it for the history. The first time through, it's valuable to do that. So we read the Bible, or the Bible, we read the Bible to study, to to understand the history. But we study the Bible for the life-changing application that's embedded into every story. And that's what we're trying to bring out uh, as we teach here on Sunday mornings. So, we'll jump right into his story. Genesis chapter 12 pretty much starts Abraham's story. Um, And it says this, Now, the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And then God tells him why. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed 
through you. Pretty simple, straightforward. Don't have to teach too much on that. Abram was told up front by God why you're going. And some of you are here because you know why you've come, right? Um, Now we continue on. Oops, here it is, page two. We continue on uh, to Genesis 12, chapter 5. And basically, here's the story of Abraham following and obeying God. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. Then this next sentence is an interesting sentence in the New King James. So they came to the land of Canaan. Also, almost feels redundant to me. It's like, so, you know, he, he gathered up his family, and he was over here in this other place, and he left to go to Canaan. Of, of course. Okay, so he, he got to Canaan. But the author says, so they came to the land of Canaan. And it's actually really significant if you know the story that we looked at last week. Because almost the exact same phrasing takes place in Abraham's father's story. And just before that, in Genesis 11, verse 32, it's the same thing. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his grandson Lot, and left the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Same thing. Took his family. They were here. They were going to the land of Canaan. But in Terah's story, it says, but they stopped instead at the village of Haran and settled there. And Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. So it's a little more significant to just a few verses later to see the author of Scripture say, and they came to Canaan. Just significant, that one little sentence. Because Abraham didn't do it perfectly. If you really study the story, we won't make a big deal out of this today, but he took his nephew Lot with him. It appeared that God was clearly saying, leave your family back in Haran and you move on. Leave them in Ur. And you go on. But he took his nephew Lot with him. And Lot ended up multiple times causing Abraham big headaches and trouble. So it appeared that God was trying to protect him from some stuff there. Um, So Abraham didn't do it perfectly, which is great news for us. But he did it. He stepped out in faith and God honored it. Much different than the way that his father did it. Um, Last week, uh, as I was preparing the message, uh, I realized the last verse in Terah's story this guy who compromised the calling God had for him. The last verse in Terah's story in the Bible says this, that Terah lived beyond the Euphrates River, and he, along with others, worshipped other gods. I just thought that's so tragic, and it made me think, what do I want the last line in my story to be? You know, then this week I was, I was preparing for Abraham. I thought, let me just search through Scripture. I've got a really cool Bible software Logo software. If you're looking for a good Bible study software, you can go online. L-O-G-O-S, Logos, Libronic software, really good stuff. And uh, the last verse in the Bible that talks about Abraham is in the New Testament. And it's actually in 1 Peter, it, it mentions his wife, Sarah, and it was talking about her, and it mentions Abraham's name. But the last verse that actually talks about Abraham in, in the Bible is James chapter 2, verse 23. And it says this, And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. I like that one better. Right? And again, I just kind of re, I, I restated it to myself, so I'll restate it to you guys today. What, what do you want the last verse in your story to be? Right? It's kind of neat. I love Abraham's. He was a man of faith. He believed God. He was a friend with God. You know, I, I vote for that one. I, would, I know I won't do it perfectly either. Um, but as I prepare messages, I, my wife's taught me, truly, she's taught me to think about the Scripture, not just read it. You know, so I try to think about this time that Abram spent with his father in Haran. 
because they were in this other city and they were going to Canaan as a family. Haran, uh, uh, Terah was leading the family. Abram was his son. Even though God had called them to go to Canaan, Abram was under Terah, his father's household. And they went to Haran and they stopped. And maybe when they stopped for a short time, you know, Abram was just thinking, my dad wants to rest a little bit, or my dad's got a plan, he's waiting for the weather to change or something. But months rolled into year after year after year. And I just wonder what the conversation was like between Abraham, who was, I picture, though fearful, chomping at the bit to follow God's call in his life. But he was watching his father drift away from God's calling. He was watching his father drift further and further from faith. And I just wonder if Abraham tried to encourage Terah in those years in Haran. I just, I just think about that. Um, and, and, and I realize there's an important topic there because, you know, the families that we come from are so significant in shaping us, right? Um, and I came from a family where uh, I think about my dad, who I love. My dad's created wonderful memories for me as a kid in my time with him. My dad loves me deeply, always provided for me. Uh, my dad is 78 years old. His health is failing a bit now, but I was with him just a few weeks ago. I'm very grateful for my dad. My dad's not a follower of Christ, though. Um, my mother accepted Christ into her life in 1957. She was in New York at a Billy Graham crusade. Some of you know Billy Graham. And with 25,000 people in Madison Square Garden in New York, my mom accepted Christ. Um, that was 1957. My mom married my dad in 1963. My dad was not a believer. I was born in 1965. My mother brought me to church pretty much every Sunday that I can remember my, my whole life. Um, my dad never went. He always ridiculed us. He ridiculed my mother. He told, us, told her it was foolish. Um, I started to witness to my dad when I accepted Christ. My dad told me his story. Uh, my grandmother, who was a believer, my dad's mom, brought him to a Bible-believing church every week when he was a kid growing up. So my dad had that. God was calling him as a little kid all through his childhood years in his home. My dad went away to college, started to drink a lot, ended up becoming an alcoholic. But my dad told me that his college roommate, who ended up being his best friend in college, was studying to go into ministry and became a pastor at a Baptist church. And for years after college, still stayed in touch with my dad and always witnessed to him. My dad always pushed it off, right? Um, then I was playing professional golf, and I was also leading some ministry stuff on the side. And my dad came to visit me at a golf tournament once. And my dad said, Ralph, you either have to decide to play golf or go into ministry because you can't do both and be successful at both of them. And I thought, okay, cool. And I went into ministry, and that shocked him. He was wanting me to go the other way, right? <laughs> right. Um, so I was home. So I've witnessed to my dad. I've prayed for my dad for 25 years to come to faith in Christ. And he's a good guy for the most part, you know. But he doesn't know Jesus. And I was in his home three weeks ago in America. I went back to visit. And there was a letter that he'd opened. It was sitting on his desk. And my dad picked it up and said, hey, Ralph, this came in the mail for me yesterday. You'll get a kick out of this. And he handed it to me. And it was from a wonderful Bible church um, that's a half mile from his house. It was a note from the pastor explaining the gospel and saying, if my dad had any needs, just call upon the church and they would come and they would serve him. I thought, God's still calling my dad, you know. And my dad's 78 years old. My dad hadn't gotten there yet. Um, but I'm still praying for him. And I believe God's going to lead him to Christ before he leaves this earth. Um, so... But so, you know, it's a big topic, our dads, our families, you know, and some of you came from families where there's just, there's no negative energy around that. Your parents knew Christ, your grandparents knew Christ, you know, your dog and your cat know Jesus, you know, and it's just, you know, that's not a challenge. But some of you have come out of homes where you came out of difficult homes. You might even be still processing that in a significant way in your life right now. And what I love, one of the things I love about Abraham's story um, is when you're in Christ, 
Your history does not equal your destiny. Right? See, Tara's history, Tara's destiny that he was handing on to his family was, was one of um, compromise and lack of faith and maybe self-centeredness and small thinking. But God took Abraham out of all that. And Abraham's family became famous and is still famous to this day around the world. Um, so be encouraged that in Christ, your future's brighter than anything in the past. And, and if you do have parents and grandparents and dogs and cats that know Christ, you should, you should send them an email and thank him today for, for that legacy in your story, right? Um, but there's, there's a little bit about just to start. Um, and I do, I do want to say this because, uh, you know... Uh, there's some reasons why I say that. So many years later from where we're talking now, we're talking right now, Abraham had just gone to the land of Canaan. But many years later, he had a son, like many years later. And then that son was of marrying age. This is in Genesis 24. And Abraham was about to die, and he knew it. But his son, who was 40 years old, had not been married. And they were still living in Canaan, which was not their homeland. Their homeland was across the river over in Haran and Ur. And Abraham was very wealthy at that point, and he had a servant who was over all of his household. And he told the servant to go back to his homeland and find a wife for his son and bring her to the land of Canaan. Now, I set all that up to say this because the servant says, you know, Abraham, what if I go there and nobody's willing to come back? Should I just take Isaac and bring him there and have him pick somebody out? And this was Abraham's response. There's so much energy around this response. There's got to be a reason for it. Genesis 24, 6, 6 through 8. Abraham says no. And there's an exclamation there in Scripture. Abraham responded, Be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promising to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine. And listen to this. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. See, there's a lot of energy that Abraham had about his son even stepping foot into the city where his father, many years earlier, had lost his way and lost his calling and compromised his life. And I don't bring that up with anything big to teach and expound on other than just to say, um, you know, these people in Scripture are real people with real stories, you know? And uh, Abraham watched his father compromise, and it hurt him, and he remembered it. And I think it probably also spurred him on to follow God in his own story, right? So, so there we go. So we're moving on now. We're back to Abraham has taken everybody, and they went to go to Canaan, and they came to Canaan, right? And the next few, three or four verses tell us, you know, they kind of went up here, and they kind of went over there, and they worked their way deeper into Canaan, and you remember God said, I'm going to bless you, and everything's going to be a bless this and bless that, and it's going to be amazing, right? Genesis 12:10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land. Well, wait a minute. God called Abraham from his home country and said, I am leading you to this place at this time, and I'm going to bless you. And Abraham showed up. Make sure I read that right. At that time, a severe famine struck the land. Interesting. You know, not too much longer later, in Genesis 14.1, it says, about this time, war broke out in the region. War and famine. 
I'm going to be a blessing to you. You're going to go to the land of Canaan, and I'm going to bless you and everybody else around you. And famine broke out in the land, and war broke out. And Abraham's family was impacted by the war and impacted by the famine. Does God call people into a famine? I think he probably does. You know, Jesus you know, started his ministry, and the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. We've got to be careful. I've got to be careful as a teacher. We've got to be careful as teachers of God's Word that we don't promise something the Scripture doesn't promise. Scripture promises God will always be with us. He's always at work in our story. But it doesn't say the story is always smooth. Right? And I, again, I try to, try to make this story real, and I think, I wonder if Abraham's faith wavered when he showed up in the land and there was a famine, which meant there wasn't food. Maybe in our day it means an economic recession, depression, whatever it means. I wonder, I wonder if the people with Abram questioned his leadership and questioned his spirituality and questioned his ability to hear God's voice. I wonder if Abraham laid awake at night questioning it. You know, but what we do know is that Abraham made a decision, and at least in terms of the scripture, he didn't pray about it. If he did pray about it, it's not recorded, which makes me think he probably didn't. He decided to take things into his own hands and get out of the difficult situation he was in, in his own strength, and find a solution. And he left and went to Egypt. And without elaborating on that story, he made some really foolish decisions that embarrassed him, that hurt his credibility with people who were following him, no doubt damaged his relationship with his wife. All because he was trying to step out of what God was doing. Guys, if you're in a famine in some way in your life, don't for one moment think God has abandoned you or led you there as some type of punishment. God... God's blessing us, whether we're on a mountaintop or in a valley or somewhere in between, God's blessing us because he's working on us, you know. Um, I believe in being a positive person. I believe that knowing Christ is the most hopeful thing on the planet. But I also know that times of challenge and struggle are inevitable in a broken world. And when God allows us to walk into a time of trial, it's because he's going to fashion and form more of the image of Christ in us. So don't be so quick to run out of a difficult situation you might be in. Don't be so quick to question God and judge his goodness to you. Um, my, one of my dear, dear friends to this day, a dear friend, been a mentor for me for over 25 years of my life, a pastor in Orlando, Florida, um, gifted pastor, speaker, and leader. And uh, about 20 years ago, uh, he was in a horrible, horrible famine in his life. He had three young children. He, he and his wife were raised, and they were... They were building a growing and, and vibrant church. And through an absolute freak accident, um, a child died on the property of the church. It was just a freak accident. It wasn't even a church event. It was an after-church thing that went on. And something fell off of a wall and hit a young child just the wrong way. And the child died. And the family decided to bring a lawsuit against the church. And, you know, it was devastating that the child had died. And then to have the lawsuit come against the church, it was just, it was just so painful. Um, the church was growing. Maybe it was 600, 700, 900 people. Um, and things kind of went the wrong way. And there was a mass exodus from the church, unrelated to the, to the other incident. But, like, the church went down to 125 people. The offerings were cut to a third. Couldn't pay for the building mortgage. Couldn't pay the staff salaries. Here's a young guy in his late 20s leading a church, and all this stuff's going on. And he told me a powerful story I'll never forget. He said that, and at that time, he's a successful guy. He, he, he's a sharp leader. And he had offers from 
the secular business world, to lucrative jobs, to leave the church, and he considered it. And he said he prayed about it one night, and God showed him a picture of himself laying on a, on a gurney. A gurney's like, you know, like a hospital bed, like if someone was carrying you into the hospital, two people, one person in front behind, you're laying on this little bed, and they would carry you in. And he said, God gave me a picture of me being carried on a gurney into an operating room. And he said, David, this guy's name was David, he said, if you, I wasn't going to say his name, <laughs> if, if uh, I guess if you Google David in Florida, you won't come up with him, so it's okay. <laughs> it's a lot of Davids in Florida. So he said, David, you can get off of this gurney right now, and you can walk away, and you can get out of this situation, but I'm going to get you back on this gurney, and I'm going to do the surgery that needs to be done in your soul. So that more of my purposes can happen in your life. It's a powerful story he told me over 20 years ago. I've never forgotten. So I don't want to walk through hardships. I don't ask God for hardships. I don't want you to walk through them. But over the course of life, it happens. It happened to Abraham right at the beginning of his calling. Unbelievable, right? But God is good and God did significant things in and through Abraham at that time. So, again, I hope you, hope you read the Bible and those kind of things will stop you, you know, for a whole week and you just go, at that time a severe famine struck the land. Wow. About that time war broke out in the region. Wow. Unbelievable. So the Bible teaches us that God uses hardships, famines, to shape us. And they're good and necessary things in God's work in our life. So, I share that as an encouragement. Um, you know, the strongest men that I know um, are Christian men who have been broken by something in their life at some point, and that applies to women as well. I say men because, you know, I have, I have some close relationships with some older godly men, and when life breaks you, the world sees it as weakness, but when life breaks you within a kingdom perspective, there's a brand new strength that gets released in you and through you. So be encouraged wherever you are in God's story. Um, Let me read Psalm 37 uh, along this line. I'm thinking about memorizing this uh, scripture for a period of time. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in him. So wherever it is that you're at in your story, you know, be, be encouraged that God's right in the middle of it, right? And he's working on it. Whether it's a geographic, why am I here? Or it's some life circumstance uh, or situation. Um, The the last thing I'll just share, and then we'll have another song in worship. Um, Genesis 13, now we're kind of up to Genesis 13 in the story, and Abraham has made a business decision. He's shown a lot of faith in God. Things are going well, and at the very end of the chapter, Genesis 13, 18, says this, then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Now, that's, that's one of those verses you read a hundred times and get nothing out of it, right? 
And, and I got nothing out of it um, normally. But I read that verse in uh, November of 2007. I shared last week, if you were here, a little bit about how my family came to China. We knew God called us. I was afraid I didn't come. And then a year later, we, we came. Um, but I was reading uh, Abraham's story in Beijing, China, in November of 2007. And God unmistakably spoke to my wife and I and my mother-in-law, who was here. She traveled with us. We were doing an adoption. And uh, God spoke to us one morning uh, in Beijing. We were here for three days and said, move to China in 2008. And we're like, wow, that's pretty specific, you know. (laughs) Pretty crazy. So, and I shared last week, I was afraid and I don't like change and all that stuff. So we left Beijing as part of our adoption process a few days later to go to Nanchung, which is down south. And Chang, Nanchung, I don't know. And we were there for a week. And I started to fast and pray. And I just, I share that because I want you to understand part of the story. And so I was fasting and praying. I had fasted and prayed for several days. I was reading through scripture. I was reading through Genesis 13. I read 13, 18, Abraham moved his tent and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre. And it was like God just exploded that phrase. He moved his tent and lived by the terebinth trees of Mamre. It's like, I couldn't let it go. For several days, it was in my head, kept coming up. So I was, I was going out to take a walk to pray. My wife's in the hotel room. I said, Melinda, just Google terebinth trees. I don't know what I'm looking for. You know, just, just, just Google. I want to know more about terebinth trees. So I went for a 45-minute walk. I came back, and my wife had pulled up an article I looked at on the Internet and it said that the ancient terebinth tree of, of, of the biblical times is the same tree as the modern-day Chinese pistachio tree. And I thought, well, that's weird, you know, because we're praying about moving to China. By the way, this isn't necessarily good theology. I'm just, telling you my, I'm just telling you my honest story. This is what happened in my process, right? So terebinth tree is the Chinese pistachio tree. I'm like, God, are you speaking to me through this scripture? But I'm telling you, I couldn't get that phrase out of my head. He moved his tent and dwelt beneath the terebinth tree. So I'm like, it's a Chinese tree. Okay, i got to take my prayer to a new level. So I'm praying, praying, praying. By this time, we've adopted our little girl, and my wife and I, mother-in-law, daughter, fly to Guangzhou to complete our adoption. It was a two-week process. And um, the night before we leave, left Nanchung to go to Guangzhou, my wife looked at me and said, hey, you've been praying, you've been fasting, I'm stressed out, what's the deal? Are we moving to China or not, you know? And I looked at my wife and I said, you know, I don't know what to do. I said, but I can tell you this. There's no way I'm going to move our family to China unless God shows me a giant blinking neon sign telling me that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, meaning, of course, that, you know, it's got to be perfectly clear, right? So I say this giant blinking neon sign. So we travel the next day to Guangzhou. We get there like 730 at night, shuttle, check in, go to the room, ninth floor. I always like to open the curtain and see what's out there, right? So the kids yelling, you know, my wife's putting stuff away. And I opened the curtain on our ninth floor room, and we're looking out across the river, and it's complete flat, except for one 20-story office building that's a rectangle. And from the top to the bottom at night, it becomes an advertisement board. And it's, it's a blinking, neon, sign, green, purple, blue, yellow, and it's blinking. Beijing 2008. Beijing 2008. <laughs> Beijing 2008. Right? I have a video of it. I should have brought it in. So, so I open the curtain. And I close the curtain, right? And I didn't say anything to my wife for three days. I didn't say anything, right? But every night I would go back to the curtain and I'd just peek out. And be like, <laughs> it's like it's still there, right? 
so my wife's like, well, my, so like 11 o'clock in the afternoon, three or four days later, my wife's like, okay, you've been praying. What's the deal? I said, I'll tell you tonight. She's like, tell me now. You know, I'm like, no, I'll show you tonight. She's like, no, tell me. I'm like, I can't show you. So we had this little argument, you know, and I should have just told her right then. So then that night, you know, when the blinking Leon sign would be working, we walked down to the river and I was just like, you know, there it is, you know. And again, not great theology. I'm just telling you my story, okay? You know, don't, don't look at billboards and think God's speaking to you. I'm not preaching that, but, but God speaks any way he wants, you know. And that was part of our calling. I told you a story last week. We went home. I was praying. God had a guy say he wanted to buy my house, and I was praying about it. And I was scared, and I said no. I, didn't, I haven't lived my faith journey perfectly, but I've learned to follow God and trust him. And if my world falls apart tomorrow, I won't be happy about it. But I will follow Jesus. Right? And everything I'm sharing here this morning, you know, um, is because I want to encourage you to follow Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you to know Jesus. You know? Um, I've got a friend many years ago, he said, I'm, I'm so confident in Jesus Christ in my life. I'm so confident in the Word of God that if the Word of God told me that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe it. He said, I don't care what it says, I believe it. Because I've tested God's Word, and I know it's true. And that, that's what I'm trying to get across up here this morning. So let me, let me just pray. We'll have the worship team's going to come back up, and we'll continue to we'll wrap up with a worship song. But let me, let me pray for all of us. I know we're all in very different places as we walk in here this morning. God, I thank you for the encouragement that comes from your word. I thank you for the adventure that you've called us to. And God, I thank you that we don't have to live it perfectly, that that's not what this is about. God, get it deeper into my spirit that it's not about performing for you, that it's not about winning approval from you, but it's about, it's about accepting the approval you've already given through Christ. God, may you wash over this congregation the truth that we are fully accepted in you. And God, for those who are in a great place, the, you know, things are just cranking along, I'm so grateful for that and the season for them. I pray your blessing on them. I pray your light would shine through them. God, for those who have walked in and their world has fallen apart or they've been processing that apparent reality for a while now, I pray that you'd breathe, breathe life and encouragement to them. And God, I pray the same thing, that your light would shine through them vibrantly in a time of testing and confusion in a way that others would look at them and say, there has got to be a God in that person's life. God, thank you for the encouragement of your word. Thank you for the truth of it. And... Uh, We just sing these songs back to you as a form of worship in Jesus' name. Amen.